Uh, as Kevin said, this is uh, shockingly our last uh, teaching of the book of Ephesians. Uh, so think about this for a moment. Uh, the first Sunday that we started teaching in the book of Ephesians was the last week we had the opportunity to commit to moving downtown. It was early January, and uh, we had the deadline approaching, and we had to decide, do we make the move or not? And now, here we stand, uh, less than six months later, downtown, in a totally different reality, uh, centered where we believe Christ has asked us to be. And um, in many ways, as we've been looking at this book of Ephesians, I feel like it's mirrored our journey a bit. That there's these themes that keep coming up that call us and invite us to be what's considered a contrast community. A community that looks radically different than the world around it. A community that sits in the middle of a city and uh, really is supposed to operate in the kinds of themes that reveal themselves in the book of Ephesians. You th- see things like a community that's deeply invested in one another, a spirit of unity togetherness, a commitment to deep love and respect, uh, a a pursuit of all that is right and good in terms of justice, a hunger for holiness, uh, a chance to reveal to people around what it means to be loved and welcomed as a part of the family of God, a group committed to using their gifts and their abilities to impact the city. And uh, the more that I dwelt on the idea of what is it that we should do to kind of wrap up the book? How do we give it justice uh, to speak to all the themes that we've talked about? Um, I kept coming back again and again to the very last benediction, the statement Paul makes at the very end of the book. Almost uh, bookmarking the entire letter. He, if you remember, started with this idea of grace and peace. And in early January, we talked about What does it really mean to pray about and to long for us being a people of grace and peace? And now we find ourselves at the very end of the book, and what Paul does is he reverses the order and he prays that we would have peace and that we would also have grace. And so if you have your Bible, I want us to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be in the last few verses, starting in verses 21 through 24. And uh, the entire focus really of the morning will be on this passage and those two words, grace and peace. How do we live into those? What is it that maybe the Spirit of God is wanting us to wrestle with this morning and embody or live out throughout the week? So it says in Ephesians 6, it says this, So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your heart. So I want to pause there for just one moment. Uh, You have probably noticed at some point in your journey in faith that uh, Christianity tends to enjoy what I would consider uh, creating celebrities. You've probably noticed that, right? So we have uh, famous bloggers and authors and preachers and conference speakers and uh, missionaries and people that travel all over. And uh, it's kind of like uh, the flavor of the month. A different one will publish a book and that'll be in the the top 
bestseller list and then that person, he or she, will kind of disappear off the radar and then another person will be on the scene and be uh, on the speaking circuit. And maybe you've noticed that over your time in the church, your time in faith. I would argue that Paul probably would have made the list. Paul would have, uh, he would have come out with the great letter for the Ephesian church and it would have rose right to the top of the distributed letters at the time and people would have been like, oh, did you guys read what Paul said? He's amazing. Oh, Paul's come to town. I can't wait to hear him. We're all going. Oh, did you see what Paul blogged about last week? It was amazing. You know, and like there would be this energy around Paul, celebrity status. Um, I'm going to also go out on a limb and say that Tychicus probably didn't make the preaching circuit. He probably did not make the, uh, the top 100 bloggers of the time. Nobody was following him on Instagram. There were no podcasts that he could, uh, could, could send out and people would listen in. But here's the crazy thing about this man. While he often goes unnoticed, while he's uh, unrecognized, while people kind of just pass over his name, uh, he is mentioned no less than five times in the Scriptures. He comes up in Colossians, Ephesians. He comes up in 2 Timothy, Titus, and Acts. He's called faithful, a servant, a friend, a companion. He's with Paul in prison. He journeys all over the place. He delivered Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon. This is a man that without his presence, we wouldn't even most likely be sitting here reading this particular letter. A man that goes completely unnoticed, completely off the radar. And I wanted to highlight that for a very important reason. God is absolutely 100% concerned, not just with the Pauls of the world, but with all the people that go absolutely unknown. Regardless of how small you feel your contribution is in the kingdom of God, let me say this, it is important that you make it. It's important that you have a role to play. It's important that you serve, that you invest in the lives of other people, that you pray, faithfully, that you give to meet needs, that you go completely under the radar and yet in the grand equation of the kingdom, your contribution is as significant and possibly even more significant. Paul may have wrote the letter, but it would have never gotten there had it not been for this man. So as you think about Scripture and as you think even about your own life, Recognize that what you offer absolutely matters. And if you're not presently offering something, I would highly encourage you, play your part. The kingdom, the church, we absolutely need it. Let's uh, keep going in the text. It says this in uh, verse, the last couple verses. It says, and this is the benediction, Peace be to the brothers and the sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Paul starts off in this prayer and he says, Peace. Peace be with all the brothers and the sisters. Peace be to all the church. 
And uh, I'm convinced that usually when we think of this idea of peace, we often think of the absence of conflict. That life is kind of in a place of rest. That there is a lack of tension that we experience or feel in the world. That we can look and go, oh, I can breathe easy because right now there's no conflict in my life whatsoever. While that could be true in one particular definition of peace, I would maybe suggest that another way of looking at peace would be to understand it this way. That when there is an absence of peace, there is the presence of fear. And I don't just mean like all in out, like scared out of your mind kind of fear. The kind of fear that if like something disastrous was going to happen to you, that kind of fear. I, I just mean even insecurity, worry, the kind of being in a place of unease, not feeling settled in your spirit, that all of those can be descriptors or expressions of that exact same idea, that when there is a lack of true peace, that sometimes there is this creeping feeling of insecurity. Now, maybe I'm the only one in the room that actually feels that way. Maybe none of you can resonate with that in any way, but let me give you maybe a couple illustrations that might highlight ways in which we tend to be anxious, worry, find insecurity. Uh, Maybe someone sitting here this morning feels a little bit insecure in a relationship. Maybe there's been a period of time you feel a little bit out of sorts in the relationship. Maybe... Uh, There's a lack of uh, communication. Maybe there's been some unhealthy things that have been practiced in the past or you feel a little bit on the outside of a social group. You were sure about this relationship for a while, but now it feels a little uneasy and maybe that is creating a lack of peace. Maybe you find yourself a little insecure because the dryer broke last week or the car broke down again, or the roof started to leak, and you start to think to yourself, I try to budget for things, but I was not planning on this, and now I'm a little bit worried. How do we make our ends meet? Do we have enough coming in the budget? Do we need to get a little side job? Is God going to come through and provide? Maybe you are a little worried about where your faith is at with someone the other day and they expressed like I feel like I have this doubt that creeps up that I I just wonder is God present and in what ways is he revealing himself to me and and I'm starting to doubt and and they had been under the impression that doubt is like this horrible evil nasty thing rather than the twin of faith that doubt can be the twin of faith because without doubt there is really no need for faith right And so maybe you are feeling anxious kind of in your spirit about where you're at in faith. Or maybe there's some job uncertainty. I don't necessarily just mean you might lose it or you might not have one, but maybe there's uneasiness about work relationships or what your boss's expectations are or the ways in which you relate to coworkers. Maybe you find yourself concerned about how You've recently received the prognosis or there's these 
symptoms that keep coming up again and again, and you're just wondering, like, what does this mean? And there's a fear that's kind of bubbling up inside. Some of you are concerned about the degree you're currently studying in. You're concerned because you're like, do I really like this degree anymore? Others of you are concerned because you're like, even if I graduate with this degree, will it do anything for me when I'm done? Will I be able to get a job? Will I even graduate? Some of you are worried about all of those things. And for others of us, maybe it's just you're a little bit insecure about parenting. Like, am I doing this right? Um, Didn't get a manual when I got my child. Didn't come with any instructions. So what if I screw this thing up? What if they don't love Jesus in some way? And so we start to worry about all the what ifs. Like, life feels good right now, but what if the car, the house, the job, the friends, the family, the health, about all those things, and there's this eroding sense of insecurity and a lack of peace. And I think Paul's wrapping up this book to the Ephesian church, and as we talked about, they were in the midst of like tumultuous change in the city. And he says to them at the very beginning of the book, and he says to them at the end, peace be to all the brothers and sisters. Shalom. It's this idea of wholeness, completeness, that everything is at put it right in the world. It's not this, uh, and it's almost always used in the present tense, it's not this idea that like, oh my goodness, someday hopefully we'll be able to have peace, or when all these things kind of come together the way we hope they will, at some point I'll feel this sense of peace. It's almost always, with the exception of one time, used in the present, meaning that you will experience a wholeness, a completeness, a sense of being at ease, in whatever moment you currently find yourself in. So how do we dwell there as a people? How do we walk away from the book of Ephesians and then kind of echo Paul's benediction and say, yes, we are a people. I am a person of peace. I'm going to suggest that the reason we don't dwell in that space is honestly because we kind of question whether or not God will pull through on his end of the bargain. If I'm honest, that's why I would question it, right? Is God going to stick by the promises and the commitments that he made? Can I take him at his word? Can I believe that what he said will actually come true? Do I believe he has my best interest in mind? Do I see him as a loving and faithful father? Or do I in some way doubt or wonder whether he's actually as loving as he suggests he is? And I thought it might be good for us just to review for a moment in Ephesians the ways in which God speaks about what has already happened or transpired in those of us who call Jesus Lord. He says this right in the first few verses of Ephesians. He says, Uh, that we are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. It says that He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that He predestined us to be adopted, that He selected us, loves us, and that in Him we have redemption through His blood. This is just in the first like two to three verses of the letter. A reminder that 
No matter where you are in life or how you feel present, this is a reality for you are blessed with every spiritual blessing that you are deeply loved by your Father. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says things like this, that God made us alive together with Christ, that by grace you have been saved, that in Christ Jesus you who were once far off have been brought near, that He has made us, both Jew and Gentile, one, and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility, that He has reconciled to God in one body through the cross. And we're not even out of chapter 2 yet. That all of these are promises and statements and realities that are true of you presently, and He echoes them. And He says in that same section... He says this, and he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. And then he finishes with this phrase, for he himself, Christ himself, is our peace. That he himself is our peace. So what do we do with that? I would suggest this, there's nothing to do with that other than to welcome it, to welcome peace. To welcome Christ. But what I mean by that most simply is this. To to welcome Christ into whatever situation you're in. To invite Him to be present. To invite the reality of the promises that were just listed in Ephesians to be true in your life. Regardless of what situation you're in, you ask yourself this question over and over again. God, where are you at in this? Regardless of what you're facing, Christ, where are you at in this? What is it that you want to do to remind me of your presence, of your love, of your deep commitment, of your promises? And may I recognize that in this moment. And may I receive Christ. May I receive peace in that moment. I want to encourage you this week as you're in small groups, even as you meet with uh, somebody for coffee or accountability or whatever, suggest you kind of walk through a couple of these questions. Just to think about, how is Christ specifically the presence of peace? How are the promises of God in Ephesians the answer to fear and insecurity? If you're in a moment where you're feeling worried or insecure, how is it that what has been stated as truth and reality in Ephesians addresses the very things you fear? And then in what area of your life, if you're honest with yourself and those around you, do you currently need to experience the shalom, the completeness, the fullness, the presence of Christ? And to name that. To say in this area, I I name that I need peace. And to invite God to be present in it. Paul then shifts to this final little phrase, most beautiful phrase to wrap up the letter, he says this, Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Grace be with all who love the Lord. The very first talk in Ephesians six months ago was about this statement. It was about suggesting that the idea of grace is that in spite of all of our failings, we are loved unconditionally by our Father. No matter what you're going through, who you are, what you've done, none of that matters that you are absolutely loved 
by God. We even defined it this way. God, the grace is God loving you as you are, not as you should be. And often when we think about grace or we talk about grace, we use that, uh, the, the word amazing. Right? It's this amazing grace. This thing that we can't even describe. That, that's beyond words, beyond uh, comprehension in some ways. Uh, but the more that I have kind of journeyed in faith, the more that I recognize that if I'm honest with myself, maybe a better definition or a better way of defining grace is the word scandalous. Those of you that are familiar with that particular word, the definition is causing great public outrage by a perceived offense against morality or law. It in some ways seems like grace shouldn't be called scandalous. But if we're honest with ourselves, at moments it feels or should feel a bit like a public outrage. Something we're not quite okay with completely. Let me explain what I mean. Uh, I've used this quote before uh, years ago. Worth or it bears repeating. Uh, Mike Iaconelli, a youth pastor from years ago, made this statement. Christianity's most shocking belief is not hell or judgment. It's our steadfast declaration that adoption into God's family is free to anyone who wants it. This is scandalous. The grace of God is dangerous. It's lavish, excessive, outrageous, and scandalous. God's grace is ridiculously inclusive. Apparently, God doesn't care who He loves. He's not very careful about the people He calls His friends or the people He calls His church. See, for as outrageous, indecent, maybe even appalling at some level, and yet the gospel of grace is beautiful because it is free. I mentioned this, uh, and I don't know if I mentioned this in January when I talked about grace or if I've mentioned it sometime in the past, but I know I've mentioned it. Uh, I've been um, teaching for 20-some years, and uh, being completely honest and forthright with you, uh, occasionally I get criticism. You probably would imagine that to be true. Um, of all of the talks I have ever given that has received the most criticism, it is almost always on grace. It is almost always on this topic. Now, there's criticism at other times and at other points, or uh, maybe uh, I misspoke or didn't say something accurately or those kinds of things, but when people push back on a particular topic, it might this is the topic that's most pushed back on. You will hear things like, um, you know, Russ, I, I, know, I don't feel like your talks are very balanced. I mean, there is grace, but, you know, we've got to pull our end of the bargain. Right? Or um, I get the, uh, I'm not exactly sure where you're going with this grace thing. And how, how far are you going to take this thing? You know, that's a little scandalous. There's like a, a, a discomfort and unease about this particular topic. And uh, again, in complete honesty, uh, you get enough feedback about one particular topic that you start to kind of go like, man, am I, am I missing this whole grace thing? Like I, I thought I got it, but maybe I'm not getting it. 
And if everyone keeps telling me that it's not very bad, like, man, shoot, I really need to consider again grace. And then I came across this really cool quote. Um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was like, long time ago, and don't put the quote up quite yet. Let me describe who he is. Okay, he was a Welsh Protestant reform minister. He was a doctor. He was born in 1899. To give you a little context, he spoke on the book of Ephesians from January to June. In the course of his lifetime, he preached messages on Ephesians. He preached 262 different messages on the letter to Ephesians. Yeah, my man was precise. Okay? He covered words, approached 40 minutes on a word. He, like, he would deep dive into Ephesians. This is not a guy that didn't really study it, doesn't know what he's talking about. And uh, he also, this is comforting, that back in the day, he also drew great criticism. of grace. How could you say that grace is really what you're describing? It seems too out there. It seems like it's free to everyone. It seems like it doesn't matter what you've done, you could get it. It also seems that maybe even after you've gotten it, you could still do everything wrong and still have it. That doesn't seem right. And he said this, the true preaching of the gospel of salvation by grace alone always leads to the possibility of this charge being brought against it. There's no better test as to whether a man is really preaching the New Testament gospel of salvation than this. That some people might misunderstand it and or misinterpret it to mean that it really amounts to this. That because you are saved by grace alone, it does not matter at all what you do. You can go on sinning as much as you like because it will redound all the more to the glory of grace. This is a very good test of gospel preaching. If my preaching and presentation of the gospel of salvation does not expose it to that misunderstanding, then it is not the gospel. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Right? Describing like this is audacious. But I would still say that if we're honest with ourselves, this is where we kind of hedge our bets. This is where we kind of go, well, yeah, but, but God really, really loves the repentant. Those who are like absolutely deeply aware of their insufficiency before God with the depth of their wickedness, with... Um, and the more you think about that, there is a sense of, like, yeah, that makes sense. But then I think there's this also sense of that if that's true, then it would mean that the grace of God is only available to those who absolutely know the true depth of their wickedness. Which seems odd, because who of us really, truly knows that? It also seems odd because it's as if what we're seeing is that true forgiveness is available when you clean up your act. It's available when you sort things out. It's available if you don't fall back into the patterns that you once were in. It's available if you do your part. Which makes it not really grace. 
which makes it a whole less, lot less completely free and totally careless. In fact, this week I was uh, reading a little entry online and uh, someone was describing that a grace of God even extends to prostitutes who ruin marriages and marriage vows. And I thought, isn't it unique that we always start with prostitutes? I feel horrible for them. Just for the sake that we always dump on them. It's like the first one we come up with. Like, oh, grace, God's great. Well, I mean, even the prostitutes. And so I was like, well, there should be a few others listed then, perhaps. Right? Like sex offenders and rapists and porn addicts and abusers and adulterers and murderers. And Republicans and Democrats and abortionists and stalkers and ISIS and homosexuals and bisexuals and transgendered and equally as grievous things such as gossip and slander and lying and hatred and backbiting and just randomly just being a jerk. That all of those things, grace extends. The grace receives cleanses, forgives, extends mercy. There is no partial grace. There is no mild grace. There is no like, if you like your salsa hot, there's a mild version too. There's no like mild grace. Like I don't want it too much, too over the top. Kind of bland grace would be a good kind of version of grace for me. It doesn't exist. It's always over the top, ridiculously excessive, extreme scandalous grace. That's it. It's the only kind that exists. And yet, I'm convinced that some will say, well, but don't they have to change? I mean, don't they have to clean up their act? Don't they have to repent? Don't they have to stop sinning? Don't they have to somehow understand the grace of God before the grace of God can do what the grace of God does? Isn't that like required? Isn't that part of it? And I thought, let me give you a quick tutorial. Let's do it. Next time you say to somebody, man, grace is amazing. It's scandalous. It's incredible. I received it. Unbelievable. And someone says to you, yeah, but don't they have to change? Don't they have to repent? Don't they have to, right? Here's my little advice. Just say this in response. Don't you have a pronoun problem? Here's what I mean. You keep saying they. They have to change. They have to repent. Here, little, all of us, ready? Little cl clue. You are they. I am they. None of us that exist are not they. So if you say, don't they have to change? Don't they have to? Don't they? Have, that's you. That's you. Right? The Christian church is not for the healthy, for the upright, for those who have their act together. Right? It is for those who are thirsty for grace. The church is for those who recognize and know that they love God and yet need this amazing, redemptive, incredible grace. The church is for the sick. It's for the broken. It's for you. It's for me. In fact, Jesus 
It's spoken of him in John 3.17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Yeah, but what Mark 2, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he, Jesus, was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to the disciples, why does he, Jesus, eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Christ came for those starving for grace. He came for those in the deepest need of grace, which means He came for you. There's this old hymn that was sung many years ago that says this, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to Thee for dress, helpless look to Thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. And the question that maybe I want to ask you is this. Do you sing the song, naked in my hand I bring, or nothing in my hand? Naked, helpless, are those the words you use? Or like you go like, well, some things in my hand I bring. And most partially clothed I come before Christ. Or is it like, man, I completely bring nothing to the equation and he brings all of it. You realize in the Old Testament when God made a covenant, or let's say this, when two people made a covenant with one another, a weird scenario, but they would cut an animal in half, they would like put its two halves on the side, and then they'd walk through together. And it was a symbol of a covenant. Me, I'll hold hold my end of the bargain. The other person, they'll uphold their end of the bargain. We walk through and we go, we've covenanted with one another, we made a vow. Okay? We're going to do this thing. Then God comes on the scene and he says, okay, I'll make a covenant with you. Animal in half, laid to the side. He walks through by himself, no one else. You know why? He always holds both ends. He upholds both ends of the bargain. He knows you and I aren't going to pull through on our end. So he's like, okay, I'll just take care of it for both of us. I got it. I'll uphold mine and all the promises, which means you can have peace. And I will uphold my end, which means you have grace. And Paul defines it this way. He says, but, nothing, or, but because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead. It is by grace you have been saved. And he says later, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in His flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. You who were once far away have been brought near. My challenge to you is simply this. What do you have to do? Just accept grace. Just acknowledge it. Just say, that's what I need. It's what I'm most needing. I want to encourage you in the group this week to talk about these questions. In what ways do you need to stretch your understanding of grace? Do you tend to think of yourself more like the prodigal son who received the grace? You wandered and were brought back and you love grace. Or do you like the older brother who's like, oh, he extended grace to my younger brother. What a jerk. Right? And why? Who do you most resonate with in that particular story? And in what way or what area of your life do you currently need to receive the grace of God? 
Maybe in all of life. Maybe for some of you, you've never at all ever accepted that it's Christ alone. And so maybe today that's the time. And that you simply come forward and we talk after the service and you say, I need what you described. But for the rest of us, maybe there's an area that you have not been giving yourself grace in, even though Christ has given it to you. Accept that grace. Receive it. We're going to close with a, um, a bit of a hymn as the benediction. So I read that little hymn, that little section. Uh, it comes from the hymn called Rock of Ages. Now, those of you that like hymn backgrounds, let me give you a quick. It was written by, this guy's got the best name ever, Reverend Augustus Toplady. He, was, he wrote it in 1763. And uh, story has it that he was uh, kind of on a journey from one town to the next. He had been preaching there. And uh, he was caught up in this massive storm. And the storm was all around him. And lightning and like rain was streaming down. And as he's walking along the road, there was this big rock there. And he saw a little cleft in the rock. And he kind of crawled in that little space and he sat there and was sheltered from this massive storm. And while he sat there, he penned these words. I want us to, I want to invite us to sing it as kind of a prayer back to God, uh, saying that we accept your grace. We need your grace. And then when we're done with that song, then I'll just close this in a brief benediction.
encourage you if you need to just chat about that, uh, to come forward after the service. I'll be up here. Also, Julie's going to be up here afterwards. Uh, if you're new to New Community and you want to talk more about how to be involved in a group or to be connected, we'd love to do that. I'm just going to read for our benediction this morning the words that we read from Ephesians, the benediction of Paul. New community, peace be all the brothers and sisters in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. You are dismissed. Have a great week.